Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Sometimes in life, if you feel stuck, there could be feelings of stress, of worry and fear and navigating through life when you have such emotions. Sure, it can be difficult. This is when you need an outside help to guide you and navigate you into the right direction. You can get this help from your grandfather or grandma, but hiring a coach which does this for a living could be a better choice. And this is why I have bought on the show today an expert. She is a certified master NLP practitioner, a master life coach, a clinical hypnotherapist, and she's a member of the ICF. What is ICF? It is the International Coach Federation. Maria Tansi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you on the show, Maria. Wait, hold on. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes. Is it Maria Tansi? Yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Well, glad to have you on the show, Maria. So tell me, Maria, you used to be a business consultant in England. Talk to me about why did you switch your career from consulting businesses in England to being a life consultant for people in Dubai and probably internationally? Well, actually, I was uh, working in hospitality, so I was working in operations. So I used to work in restaurants for uh, many years, and I, coaching obviously was part of my role within my teams. And um, except I, while I was during my time working in hospitality, I opened uh, more than fifty-five restaurants, and um, not just in the UK, but also I've opened some out here in the Middle East as well. And I, you know, I actually I started working like probably many people do is that when they're studying, maybe they get a part time job. And I'd had a job all the time I'd started as a waitress. And then it was something that I actually um, enjoyed, not necessarily waitressing. It's good for tips, except I also kind mm-hmm. of progressed within that. Um, I kind of like took a sidestep. So even though my interest was around psychology and like what I was studying at university was like applied human communication, which is kind of like psychology, sociology. And that was really my interest. But I also really enjoyed and I was passionate about, um, you know, about the, the service aspect or about operational. And um, so I kind of pursued. So it's kind of like I kind of got off course or pursued this route. And I believe that naturally over time that you get back to where it is that you're meant to be. And I, I mean, I'm probably, maybe it's different to how other people did it, but I did it when I was here, actually. I, I was working in hospitality and um, I was looking after 12 restaurants. And then I just knew that I, I gave my notice. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And then I said, well, you know, I wanted to do something either more senior because it wasn't challenging anymore. And I've always believed that, way, you know, as soon as the job isn't challenging anymore, that's it. So I gave my notice. I didn't have anything that I was going to do. And then actually, I didn't plan to open my business, actually. I just had three months off and I was being paid because I that's the notice I had to give. And they said, well, since you're not even going to find it, you know, since you haven't got anything yet, you know, like, do the handover and stuff and take the time. So I thought, you know, I had some a list of some things that I wanted to do. And I thought, if not now, then when? That I need to box these things off. So that's when I decided to look at, so well, it was actually New Year's Day a few years ago and it just kind of popped up on my screen about um, while I was like scrolling through the internet in the morning and on my phone. And an NLP course came up and when I worked in my for the company in the UK, the senior, some of the senior leadership team that I was part of had got the opportunity to go and experience NLP training for a few days. And I, I always was 
struck by the impact that it had letting you know someone who was scared of snakes for instance he shared pictures with he had like a um, you know, a boa constrictor or something wrapped around his neck and um, mm-hmm. all these different things. One of them was claustrophobic and she overcame that just in these four days. And I was really um, awed by this, you know, the process and what kind of things can come out of doing um, NLP in such a short space of time. And I thought, you know what, I've either got to cross it off my list or I need to just I do it now or I've got to cross it off my list forever. So I thought, you know, that's it, I'm going to do it. And um, so I went to do the, met with somebody whose name had come up, which was actually for Robert Simich. And then I met with them. No intention of setting up a business, by the way, just still thinking, I need to box off this because I'm sure it'll be useful for me personally and professionally as well. Went to meet them and and the the lady that I spoke to who was working on behalf of Robert Simich, she said to me, are you setting up a business? I said, no. And she said, I said, why do people do? She said, yeah, most people set up their business after this. Anyway, so before I even did the training, I actually set up my business. So I really believe that that was what I was destined to do. I just kind of like kind of detoured on the way to getting there. I love both with, uh, you know, I really enjoy both aspects. And uh, I've been lucky enough in the last few years to help a few clients with setting up their own restaurants or partly being involved in some hospitality businesses. So it's kind of given me a nice opportunity to combine my coaching, but also still with something that was uh, that I'm very passionate about as well. So I kind of made the decision, but that's me is that I'm and that's one of the things that I was going to say is that when the subconscious, I think, is ready to make that change. That's it. So I just decided, I said, right, that's it. I'm not going to go back into hospitality or find a more senior role. I want to take a less senior role and start working on setting up my business, which is exactly what I did over the next few months. I got someone to help with a website and to do all of the things and started planning that. And I started taking clients. I was still working. For, I then took another job because it was just a couple of weeks before or a few weeks before I was due to my time period of three months was running out and that wouldn't be paid anymore. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then I said, I'm going to set up my business. This is what I'm meant to be doing. And I call it coaching because that's the license I work under. But it's whatever you call it, I knew that this was what I was meant to be doing 100%. And um, so that's how it started. And then I worked for the rest of the few months with the company. And then I said, right, January 1st, that's it. I'm going full time. And then, so from the following year, I didn't, I just did that completely. And, and that's, then, then this is today. You have a great story and you have definitely spiked some kind of curiosity when you use the snakes example, tell the listeners what an NLP stands for. Uh, It's neuro linguistic programming. And it's basically, if you say it's like a collection of tools, if you open a toolbox, instead of seeing the tools inside it's almost like uh, some techniques so you know nlp practitioners are armed with sets of tools which can help with little tweaks and fixing things so it could be overcoming fears or phobias or it can be um, changing a like to a dislike or looking at something in a different way so there's lots of different uh, and also it's about language patterns so that's what i use mostly in my practice on a day-to-day basis it's using specific language patterns that the brain doesn't or the subconscious doesn't really object to so if you tell somebody you should or you will or you must or you you even just saying you sometimes can sound like this it's almost as if the subconscious is saying no don't tell me what to do i'll decide mm-hmm. whether i do it or not so i use all of the time language patterns without my client being aware of it necessarily i mean i tell them at the beginning that, that of course i'm using these kind of um Yeah, these techniques, except 
I'm not going to stop and interrupt them and say in a minute, this is what I'm going to say, because now that I've had worked with hundreds of clients is that I've got even more knowledge and experience that I just combine it automatically inside what I'm actually doing. And, um, but NLP is, you can have some great results with NLP. I would usually say that it's in, con in conjunction with something else. The, the stronger you said about the snakes or if someone has a really strong fear or phobia or something maybe also that's tied to maybe something that actually did happen rather than just an imaginary fear that isn't really born from anywhere. You know, maybe you would do it in conjunction with a couple of sessions, just kind of talking it out first so that you can use some other kind of techniques as well. And then using um, some of the, the models of all the specific techniques which are known to uh, uh, NLP. What do you replace the word you with now? I say you, but I say you might. I say you might okay. find so if so you're not <laughs> forcing something onto someone. Yeah, I mean, I just finished a session, and even if someone doesn't really know, I'm, I use it all the time. It's like the whole conversation I'm using, and they're kind of actually they the NLP is based on one part is based on um, t uh, hypnosis on hypno um, or hypnotic language patterns. So that's what I use heavy suggestions, um, hypnotic language patterns, which is not like oh you're getting sleepy. It's not that I'm hypnotizing somebody like that, but I'm using words that the brain is happy for, which happy to hear and take on without rejecting it and also is giving the client a really fast change. So if you listened now to one of my sessions, I'd be saying, you might just find, you might just find, you might just find, because I'm not telling them that they are going to, the brain doesn't object to might. And so it will take it on readily because it's almost like, okay, fine. But if I said you will find, or when you leave this session, you'll find now that now that you've done this exercise, because the brain says, no, excuse me, I'll decide whether I'm going to have mm -hmm. to change now or not. So that's what I use all of the time in my sessions. Oh, no, Maria, you disappoint me because I was looking forward to asking you questions if you use or ask the people to look into your eyes or swing a pendulum or like look into a crystal ball. I most know. of the people, most of the people who are listening to this haven't been in a hypnosis uh, session or haven't been treated by a hypnotherapist, but they have some kind of wild ideas of how classical movies show us on how hypnosis work. So do you ever swing a pendulum? I definitely have swung a pendulum. Oh, okay. Well, part now of we're talking. Exactly, <laughs> is part of um, you know part of the training. You would also uh, get to use that. But usually, when you're using a pendulum, actually, it's not me that's swinging it. It's actually the client doing it themselves. But I, I don't, I haven't used it in any of my sessions. I just use it as part of um, both of my trainings and stuff. So through through my hypnotherapy and uh, psychotherapy training, and also through my original coaching, which came with some. Hyp hypnosis uh, sessions some small sessions so I did do that and I do get them they do definitely I do hypnotize them also with my eyes as well but don't tell them that so um, <laughs> I hope they're not listening <laughs> no I mean it's you know you said that people aren't hypnotized or they haven't had it they might not have formally had it but NLP is something that's used particularly maybe even in America in many different companies that businesses use um NLP techniques that basically some techniques which are very common are rapport building. So getting the client. So if someone was calling you, maybe cold calling you or doing sales, the chances are that someone has already used those techniques, which are from uh, mm -hmm. hypnosis, if you like. So probably everyone's experienced them. And and tri tri traditional hypnotherapy, if you're thinking of someone lying down with their eyes closed, 
that's just being in a trance state and everyone's in a trance state you know throughout the day at different times maybe when they're driving you don't notice when you get somewhere you just know that you got there maybe you didn't remember the way or when we go to the cinema or reading a book we're always going into a trance state which is a similar kind of it's a similar state of being in, in classical uh, hypnosis, if you like. Yes, I go through that trance state a lot. And I call, I would also make associations with the state of flow. Now, yeah. I have been to a hypnotherapist a couple of times when, as you said, they've or she's rather made me go into a trance-like state. And we kept on exploring various stages of my life to promote healing. But... Tell me how powerful hypnosis really is, one to ten. How powerful and effective would you rate it? Well, I would say, I'd say nine, ten, because you, the thing is, what you went through, that hypnosis, I would probably say seven to eight, maybe six, depending on, see, the thing is, it depends on your resistance to it. So it's all about resistance, really. So all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So basically you're allowing that yourself to go into that state or, or not. So, in, and also it's about what you're trying to find. So in terms of making a change, so I'll give you an example in a minute why I say nine or 10, except some people come to me, some clients say, I really want to just do like, basically some people want to just come lie down. This is what their dream would be to lie down need to, to say a nice thing of them and then they wake up or, or they open their eyes they're not asleep actually they've got more heightened awareness actually but then open their eyes and be like wow that's it I'm confident I've got no anxiety I've got these things or that they don't have to explore any of the reasons behind why they might be feeling like that the thing is even if someone actually wants to make a change and says no I really want to do this like this a subconscious might say no, because the environment that they're in, the office or the place that they're actually doing the hypnotherapy, and maybe that it, it's maybe a little bit clinical or it feels like they can't actually relax because it's not really normal to just say, okay, just relax now. It's like saying when you tell someone just relax, it's almost like the body wants to do the opposite to just relax. It's like if I want, you, if I want my clients to relax, I usually tell them not to relax. So it's, you've really got to work. So I say six, seven, eight, because it depends on, your resistance level and the environment that you're in and what you're trying to work with. So, because even if you consciously want to make the change, the subconscious might suddenly find that it's in this position where it thinks, hang on, uh, you know, like who said you're going to make this change? You know, like you've got to get somebody into that state and at a level where they want to do it. So the, the, so the, the subconscious is almost aware that you're trying to do something to it. So what I use is, I use the language patterns without the client being aware that I'm using those language patterns. So the subconscious is, doesn't resist them. Would you like me to give you an example of how I said, why I say that Please go for it. like that? So I do. So normally I work with clients for six sessions and it's kind of like life changer, like um, personal breakthrough coaching. That's what I do but on the first session. I take all of their problems. So I say, you know, give me all your problems for, the next six weeks uh, or whatever for the next six sessions and uh, at the end of it I can give them back to you if you want or you might just find you might just find hearing me uh, you might just find that you don't want them anymore so I um, I kind of frame it like that and the first half so I do two hour sessions always so the first half of the session imagine that you told me now that you were having a session with me and you said to me these are all my problems so I take all of the problems and they'll tell me and when I say problems they'll give me their limiting beliefs so 
I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mother. I'll never be rich. I'm. I'm. You know. I give too much, or nobody's there for me. All this. So they'll give me like 30, 20, 30, 40 different statements. So I take one hour, the first half of the session, taking down all of their problems, and they say these are the worst things. This is what's filling my head all of the time. All of these things keep bothering me you know, I'm not focused enough, or my this doesn't love me, or this, I don't, this, I don't love, I don't love my body, I don't like this, all of the things I talk about them, they give me everything from every aspect of their life. And then imagine that in the next hour, but after I've used some techniques, or while I'm using some techniques, then I go back to the beginning, and I say, let's check to see if there's any benefit to having any of these old beliefs. So I've already mm -hmm. switched the context to past tense by saying that they're old and they don't notice. And hopefully, depends whether any of my clients are listening now or future clients, who knows, um, I'm giving you away. So I wouldn't tell them until the end of the process what, what I've done because I don't want them to unpick the process or the progress mm -hmm. they've made. And in the second hour, imagine that they tell me that they want to keep their problems. You would think that they were, you, I could say to them, you're crazy, you know, how come you've spent one hour telling me one hour that you've paid for that you've told me all of the problems and in the second hour i've done something with you i've helped to reframe them in such a way that actually you're telling me you want to keep it in in, in, in such a way that so i'll say is there any benefit and they'll say no benefit zero benefit and i say okay what would you get if you have the opposite so we kind of explore what would be the opposite belief if, if we took this one away and then suddenly i kind of use some lots of techniques it's uh, from my side and then they say, well, actually, no, I, I want to keep that. Can I keep more of it? So some people say to me that I say, let's imagine that there are all these problems are at 100% to start with. All of these statements, they're bothering you because they're annoying you. They keep coming in your head all of the time throughout the day, and they're 100% annoying. Mm -hmm. You want to bring it down to, if you tell me you want to keep some of it, some people say 20%, 50%, whatever. Some people say 70%, I want to keep it. Someone said to me the other day, she said, actually, I'd like more than that. Can I get 110%? Obviously, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what, I'm not saying they don't know what they're saying. They don't realize what it is that they're saying. But actually, even if a client said to me that they want to keep 1% of it, what they've just said is, they've said that their problem is not a problem anymore. So even in the first session, using those kind of um, hypnotic language patterns and using some clever reframing and lots of different techniques, that I can make them say that they want to keep their problems. And, it, and, it, and it's not because I want them to keep the problems. It's that when you change the context of something and now you don't see it as a problem anymore. That's a problem anymore, yeah. It's not a problem anymore. And I'd say to them that we're not going to do it today. I don't know if your subconscious will let go today. And I use thousands and thousands of embedded commands and lots of different language patterns. And I say, you know, but let's give the brain like at least let's give it some instructions in case it kind of goes through and it decides that if you say you don't want it, then naturally it's going to give you the opposite belief. So let's check to see what the opposite would be, belief would be. And then they say, oh, no, I don't want to be like that. And they say, well, I just keep a little bit. And I say, what, like 5%, 10%? They say, no, 30% or 40%. I don't care. And I write down the percentage, but it doesn't make any difference. The point is, is that what you've demonstrated to someone is that in that session, and I just say, oh, you might just find now that for this week, you know, we need to put these to one side so that we can get on with the rest of the process. But if I said to them beforehand, in this first session, you're going to let go of all of your limiting beliefs and you're going to tell me all your problems. And then you're going to tell me that, tell me their problems and then you're going to tell me that you want to keep all of those problems you know they would think i was crazy they probably wouldn't leave the process 
but I'm I I do it every single with every single client, every single. Time. And that mostly works. No, it works every time. Are you crazy? Okay. It works every time. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, there's, there's, there's no one it doesn't work with. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about one of my first experiences or dilemmas about getting a coach. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't come from a family which was like financially very good. And I was also like you doing some kind of like a part-time job all the time that I was growing up. I remember I started my first job when I was 14 years old, when I was like, juggling school and work and then i went on to do university and i was juggling with work and when i was growing up i was a bit obese and my first dilemma to invest in a coach came to me when i remember i was 15 years old and a big guy at a local gym comes up to me and he's like hey do you want professional help and this is his probably punchline do you want some kind of professional help uh, in exchange of some money and since i was 15 at that time i was like um giving it a thought and then i'm like you know what no thank you and in my mind i was thinking why don't i learn the kind of things that he has to offer and this way i get to get to my goal i accomplish my goal which was losing weight and looking a bit better at that time and i save my cash and um at that time cash was scarce so i and now when i look at my young overconfident brain at that time I feel like it slowed me down a lot because for the next few years, I took the hard path and I spent so much of time learning from others, reading, self-experimenting, which most of the times failed. And now when I look back at it, I could easily cut through five years of hard work and beating myself up in crazy ways. Just if I would have raised my hand and asked for asked that person or someone else for help, who could look at me clearly, who could identify the gap of where I was, where I had to be, and would guide me and probably hold me accountable and to stay committed as well. Now, why do you think people should invest or hire a coach and not go looking for answers on Google? Well, I don't think that someone should invest in a coach until they're exactly ready to do it because the benefit you'll get is when you're ready to make a change. I say to clients when I have a consultation with them is that, you know, many people come to me actually and they're not ready yet. So they know that they want to make a change. They've got something, but sometimes there are other barriers in the way. I, I actually don't actively tell anyone to, to seek out a coach. Of course, I know the benefits of having it, but the thing is the benefits only come when somebody's ready to receive the lesson, if you like, or ready to receive those changes. So I think that if ever, if anyone's happy in their life and they think they're asking themselves, anyone who's listening to this and thinks, you know, I think my life is pretty good. I don't, you know, I would say get carry on and be happy. I, I, mm -hmm. I say that when my my uh, philosophy is is that you know my my job is helping people to make changes and um, I hold space to make the change and I take them through a, a process that makes it easy enough for them to get the change. If you said they have to be ready to make that change. And when someone's ready is when they search me out on the internet because they're searching for it. And even when they search me out, sometimes I'll have a client contact me and they'll come contact me again two years later and say, hey, I'm ready now. You know, after two mm -hmm. years and saying, hey, you're still in Dubai because I'm ready. And uh, or six months or one year, it, that can be quite common as well because it means that they're just, they're, they're thinking about it. They're doing something about it. If you're happy in your life, if you're happy with everything as it is, and you're, or you're content, it doesn't have to be happy. If you're content and you don't think there's any problem, then I definitely say 
don't seek out a coach because this isn't the time when you'll get the benefit from it. I say is that when you want to make a change, then come to me or to see any other coach. But I say to my clients or when I meet people for consultations, I say, when you want to make a change, I'm here and I'm ready. So whenever that is, then, then uh, come to me then, because only then are you going to have the results. You need someone, a client has to own 100% of their process of their journey. It's no good if I'm 100% committed and they're only 80 or 70 or 90% or unsure. I send many clients away when I've had a consultation with them and maybe that's not great for business, except I just think it's the right way. So sometimes people will come and say, oh, I think I need a coach um, because my boss has got a coach or someone at work has got a coach and they're kind of like exploring and thinking. And I think, you know what, I could just take their money and I, you know, I, I could do that because of course I've got bills to pay. And, mm -hmm. you know, but actually I, I really like, I feel like one, it doesn't sit well with me. And two, if I'm, while I'm listening to them in the consultation, I'll be very honest if I think that I can or I can't help them or if I think they need it. So sometimes I'll often just help somebody in a consultation, as in I'll give them some things and leave them with a few, uh, you know, learnings or help them through a few things so they can either go away and then maybe that's just enough for them. Or I'll say to them, you know, I really don't think that you'll get the benefit. I don't want to kind of rip you off or charge you for something that you're not going to actually um take or, or I, I don't get the most out of it this time yeah I don't know what you need the help with and for instance one person I worked with a, a couple of years ago he went away and then took um I said you know maybe you need to just go down and explore what go away and sit down somewhere and explore and write down on a piece of paper what are the things that you want to work on because you know and, and I'm here whenever you need me you know come back in the future if you, if you, if you change your mind and I'm putting myself out of business and you know I'm saying don't don't sign up and they're saying, you know, I think I might because I'm, I'm not sure that they will get the benefits and their success is my success. So and with this particular person, they went away and then like, I think the next day sent me a WhatsApp with a picture of um, a paper with all of the things on. I was like, okay, now you're ready because they weren't at that stage ready to do it. And I didn't feel that I, I think that I was being honest or that I'd be able to give them the value if they weren't even sure what they wanted or what they needed. So if you're happy or if you're content, then you don't do anything different when you want to make a change, whether that's professional, whether you're stuck at work or feel like you're not going anywhere. Even most of my clients are actually comfortable. They have good jobs. They might be in good relationships, but maybe something's just kind of starting to rub around the edges and they're thinking like, what's next? I don't know what I'm going to do. Or maybe there's other things that are holding them back, like some anxiety or panic attacks or some self-doubt or fears of public speaking or something but I think the thing is is that maybe we put up with things for a certain period of time we can be frustrated and then when frustration gets so much that's when we find when we seek help because I always say to my clients that if we could change if I could send them a YouTube, a YouTube video or a book and tell them read this and you'll be fine then I would do that and I would do that for myself as well but actually the truth is is that we can't none of us get past our own subconscious resistance so our brain will almost not make us uncomfortable to see the, the the solution and you know they say that when you can see the problem you can't see the solution but when you can see the solution mm -hmm. you can no longer see the problem and that's why you need somebody i act like a mirror for my clients to be able to show them different parts of of them so that they can make the changes so that they've got the visibility to do that but i even if i wanted help i use um, a coach of my own so we're a, a friend of mine who, when I'm going to go, when I want to work on something on a small issue or something, I'll go to her and she'll use me as well. Because 
I know that I won't get past my own subconscious resistance, even if I know it and I know what I could write a book about it, it still won't make give me the changes and stuff. So when we want change, sometimes you you know, we need somebody else to facilitate it. That is correct. And this is what I see most of the people um get to when their bucket is full or the water is overflowing, that's the time they reach out for help. And it's nice that some people come up to you even before that bucket is starting to get full. Now, let's look at some of the conditions that people might need your help in. Now, I want to talk about some things that are probably applicable to everyone. And you mentioned early on in this conversation, fear. Now, I feel like everyone, even if they act super strong, everyone on a subconscious level is afraid of something. And especially when you're, when you have fear in your mind about something, someone, some situation, um, you're, there is a lot of physiological changes that happen. Your sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight mode goes into overdrive. And I've mentioned for people who are listening about these things in my blogs before, but can you tell us what really goes on? into your body when you kind of are matched with or, or you're facing your fear or even when you're thinking about something that probably frightens you well you said exactly the right thing is that actually is that uh, it's perceived fear when you're thinking about it what i work on the premise is that the brain doesn't know the difference between real or imagined which is why when we go to the cinema we can cry at the films or we can get angry or scared or at the films even if we know they're not real, the brain still responds in the same way. So you, you're right, is that we can think about a fearful situation. And it's really like we're actually doing the preparations. And you said it already that the fight or flight response, which is traditionally, which has been there also since, uh, you know, the beginning of time, keeping us safe from our survival, but we don't have the same dangers that we have today. But the response is the same. So the response can be strong as if we're going to be attacked by a lion or preparing to run away or escape from a dangerous situation or at the same time it could be just that we've got to um, speak in front of our colleagues in a meeting so the same reaction it's almost as if the same reaction regardless of what the situation so um, how i would help people so sometimes it can be that something's happened really has actually happened maybe that they've had a, a negative experience doing that particular thing which is kind of um affirming, uh, reinforcing the and anchoring the belief that they have about that situation. So it's not really kind of um, taking the fear away. Although I do think that having a little bit of fear in all such in some situations is actually beneficial. It can actually help the performance as well. And I think that some a little bit of fear can help to motivate us as well to make sure that we are doing a great job, that we prepare something. If you were talking about public speaking, for instance, Maybe if you have no fear, you wouldn't also prepare. Maybe you wouldn't consider your audience. And I think that it's okay to sometimes to have a little bit. Where I think that you've got to, where if someone was asking me, like, should I get help or about something or not? I would say that the, if there's something that you don't do very often, so for instance, if you said, I've got a fear of snakes or I've got a fear of sharks or something like that, but you're not encountering them on a daily basis. Maybe it's something that you can live with and it's not something that you would ever need to see somebody about. You would steer clear of them and that's fine. But maybe if your fear is something that interrupts your daily, I would say, use, if it's something that's interrupting your daily life or it's coming up often in your job. So, for instance, if every week you have to do a presentation and then two days before that presentation, you're already feeling palpitations or your body is responding and giving you all these different 
Um, or getting diarrhea, for example. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I see commonly in people. Yeah, exactly. Because that's when they say diarrhea is like fear running through you, actually. So that's like, um, it, it, exactly. So what if it's something like that, that's stopping you in your daily life or your daily work, then then definitely then I would seek help. And, uh, you know, so many different people could help in different ways with that. And, um, and, and then, but if it's not a set stopping in your daily life, then I would say it's like, it's okay, because there's bound to be something that most people are fearful of and, and actually should be fearful of, to be honest. I also think that a moderate amount of everything, whether it is stress or fear is very important because when we are met with the situation that gets us a bit uncomfortable, and I use the term moderate here because there's a fine line where you can have like a little bit of stimulus where it is fear or stress. And what the body has been designed to do with evolution is that it responds to the change by making the organism like, you know, we see this in mammals and animals and everything. You have a little bit of stress and the body kind of stands up, becomes a bit stronger. It's also called hormesis, which is, if I had to define it for the audience, it's like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but only if the dose is very moderate. So. I'll tell you something um, simple, for example, let's say things like fasting. People with, Some people who haven't been exposed to the idea of fasting, they'll be like, oh, how can I go more than two to three hours without, without like, you know, having food? But then you embrace this idea, you learn about it, and then your mind kind of gives you that edge. And then the next thing you know is like you tell yourself, okay, I'm usually not going for food with that food for like three hours let me push it to like four hours or four and a half hours and what happens when you do this over time your body kinds of like overcompensates for it and you actually get stronger so if it's your fear if it's stress if it's something you said it right expose yourself to a little bit of it so then your body doesn't get into a complete shock but it will apply the evolutionary principle of hormesis and become stronger as you increase that stress. Yeah. Now, let me uh, share a story with you. Now, one late night, there was a policeman who was walking on a stroll and he found like an old person, let's say an old man, looking for something under the streetlight. And the police guy being nice, he's like, hey, can I help you? Have you lost something? And the man explains, he's like, yeah, I've lost my keys. And then the policeman is like, all right, I'll help you find it. And after some time of looking, the policeman goes like, sir, are you sure you've lost them here? And to his surprise, the man replies, no, I've lost them in the park behind. And the policeman is surprised and he's like, why are you searching for it over here? Let's go to the park and I'll help you find your keys. Because this policeman now is trained to look for objects in like, you know, different situations. And he's like trained to kind of like return the things back to the people. And the man goes like, because here is where the light is. This guy was standing under the streetlight. And what I think, Maria, is that people would also, normally what happens with most of us is that we look for easy solutions rather than going inside and exploring the root of our problems. Like, for example, you have a relationship that fails and people normally don't want to deal with it. And they're probably indulge themselves with like taking on extra work or going and working out. I see this all the time. Or you have a conflict with one of your colleagues and then you want to avoid confrontation. So what people would do is normally they would just put a smile on their face and then 
start ignoring that person rather than facing normally the, any kind of pain that we have we see we go out we seek like things which comfort us like food or shopping or entertainment but guess what these things can only bring momentary pleasure and it's in the long term it doesn't act as a solution and most of us would always look for things like outside of us when we actually have a deep internal or subconscious problem and this is kind of like a great news also because there is no magic pill or snake oil or lucky stone although i must say that i have found some chemicals and stones that really help but again all we need is an insight or an encouragement for us to like meet our difficulties fears and the truth that we are kind of seeking now the answers and solutions kind of like go or come from your inner self but you do need someone to do it for you most of the times some of the other things like you mentioned you know you could point people out onto a youtube video or um read a book or listen to a podcast like this or join a community where there are more people and or else what you can do is look for like someone who's trained to do this like that policeman who can actually direct you onto the park rather than the street light and if you want to take this a, a bit further and you talk to like a biohacker like me then i would even go as far as putting electrodes in my head to get like specific brainwave patterns i call this brainwave entrainment or fix your mindset around your environment and try to get into altered states of consciousness where you can actually get some answers so i like that you're saying that you know it's sometimes you just have to be ready for it and then if you're ready and you know you look out for help from a coach like you or someone else or even raise your hand up and get a mentor those people can really affect your life and that's kind of like that street light effect you're probably just looking into the wrong place would you agree yeah i i think that uh, maybe when people i think that there is sometimes it can be that you want to find somebody and you don't know where to look or who to help so a very common question when i meet people or when they send through on my website to say is that i don't know if i need a psychologist a psychiatrist a psychotherapist a coach because all they know is they just want to get out of however they're feeling at that moment so people sometimes know what they want to overcome but they don't know where to go for help so i do think that sometimes that is a little bit of a problem as well and there're also some people that i would say that if you don't think you have a problem you don't have a problem because a problem is only a problem when you believe it's a problem because then you'll take action so in the example you just gave is that actually the policeman looked and thought it's like um hearing your friend complaining every week that they want to do something give up smoking or like mm-hmm. weight or do something and then you and then you think that you're looking at what they're doing and you're thinking well this isn't supporting it and then you think you want to point out to them and say well why don't you do this this thing i would always say is that whatever we're doing at the time is the right thing and it's for a reason and that maybe we're not ready yet because if you say that the subconscious is controlling or is we're on automatic pilot for more than you know 95% of the time or that it's controlling many of our decisions is that it's only when the subconscious decides and when somebody says they're going to take action that's the day that's the minute they're not going to wait for new year's day or for the beginning of the week or the month they're just going to start on any particular tuesday in the middle of the month at any particular time when their brain is the subconscious says today's the day guys that's it you know you might want to start consciously you want to let go you want to give up smoking or something and the brain says not today sorry not this week 
So in the case of the policeman, he's pointing out to someone, maybe it's like helping, but I think that you have to ask for help to, because that's the part that necessary that, that um, suggests that you actually will receive it well, because otherwise it's well-meaning um, advice, if you like, that other people put on you or say, I think that you need to see somebody or I think that you should get help. It's actually... And I'm not saying that it's it's not okay to have what I would say is like almost like an intervention with a friend or with a family member. Exactly. You can say that you're concerned about something, except still nobody will make any changes to it until they believe it. Maybe somebody has to lose something, a relationship or a job or something in, in that where they've pushed it too far until they realize that actually their behavior has caused this thing and now they need to seek help. So some people will, it won't be until it gets to that point when when clients come to me is that i believe that they've already taken the decision so it's not necessarily it, my in my job or anyone else's job is, is is easy because they're in that space already so when i have a consultation with someone i say you know they say i'm not happy in work or i'm not happy in my relationship or blah 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 and i say look you know don't take any um don't take any big decisions until we it's only six weeks like just like relax let's work through it and make sure that you know, I, you know, say that take permanent decisions on, um, don't take permanent decisions on temporary feelings. So let's just work through these things that are about you first and then take the decision. And famously, after I've had a consultation, before they've even started, they'll turn up for their first session and say, oh, I've already resigned or I've already done this or I've already done like after a couple of sessions, I'm like, oh my God, you know, because it's not about me, it's because they're ready. So it's almost as if once the subconscious says, I'm on board, I'm all in, it's almost like quick, 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 let's just do it now. So it's really is the subconscious, it's when it's ready to make a change. And I think that we look in the other direction because we don't naturally want to be uncomfortable, but it will be when the staying the same is as uncomfortable as the discomfort or it equals or it goes past it. So if you were letting, if you know, I've worked with people before who want to give up smoking or clients who've come to me and said, I want to quit smoking or something. And, you know, and they, they can't do it or they've tried and they've stopped, they fail, they think that they've tried, they failed, etc. But it's, it's actually, they go out, they say, I'm going to, they say to all their friends, right, that's it, I've, I've given up smoking. And then following weekend, after maybe after having a couple of drinks or something or being in the crowd that's also smoking is that, maybe they then end up having like half a cigarette or one cigarette or something and they say oh it's just one or something and then they say right okay forget about that then start again again on Sunday and then something then the next week the air happens again so maybe they managed in the week or now they buy a packet of cigarettes and then their friends are like for god's sake you keep telling us that you're going to give up what's going on like give up already you know, like stop telling us you're going to do it. And it's when, not just when your friends are frustrated, it's almost when you're frustrated with yourself for not being able to do it. I think that every day that you're frustrated is one day closer to you making the change. And whether that's a change that you make on your own or whether it's a change that you make with, that when you seek out somebody, I think that at that point when you seek somebody out, it's within 30 days that, that you're going to be um, making the change or embedding that change. It's, it kind of happens fast. I also think a lot of people have, I mean, it's so difficult when you took an example of like smoking or something which is very consistent in your life, because throughout years, the ways we have been shaped up to be is that we want to have the similar feelings and emotions because similar feelings, consistency are also linked with us feeling safe and happy. 
an inconsistency or something which is different or trying out something new like stop stopping to smoke or you know not going to a certain place which you know is bad for you is only going to be difficult because it comes under the unknown and when people are exposed to the unknown the way their psychology works actually not even about psychology the work the way their cells work is that our cells have been programmed to as i mentioned earlier be half feelings of comfort have feelings of safeness back in the day when you know but the world wasn't it how it is like right now the time that you would be sitting under a tree and being comfortable is the time that you know where you're safe and when there is like drought or when there is um, a lion chasing you or something that's the time you're uncomfortable and what the body will try to do is always leave you or lead you onto a path which makes you comfortable so whether it is lying on the couch and watching tv and this is one reason why it's so difficult for people to go out there like some people are motivated in a different way but for most of us out there the world obesity rate has tripled since 1975 people aren't ready to put in the work because they know on a cellular level that things are different and different means difficult and that kind of like that voice in your head that goes on with all your 30 trillion cells screaming at you like don't eat that cookie or you know don't uh, don't um stop smoking it, that voice is so hard to get over like i've had some addictions in the past and i know coming from a point of being obese and loving food so much it becomes so difficult and i think at that point like if you are kind of like only telling yourself like hey i should do this i should do that it works up to a certain point but then it fails because you end up losing so much of will power and will power as we know is you can train it it's like a muscle but then again it is quite limited and as the day passes by your will power to say no kind of changes so you know it could actually be very difficult and that's the time that i would feel that having an intervention or having someone come into your life whether it's your mother your father your sister your girlfriend anyone who comes into your life and repeatedly says to you like hey listen we're with you on this one we know how it could make you feel but we really care about you and we want you to know that this isn't right and when you get these messages continuously then is the time that you kind of like take a step back and you be like why are so many people telling me the same thing like are all of them wrong or let me take and think about this for a moment could there be that one possibility that i might be wrong and then that kind of like maybe leads to frustration and as you said then people start looking out for new changes yeah because you what you're saying is that we can't change something that isn't in our awareness first it has to become in our awareness it doesn't matter whether it's in everyone else's awareness until it falls into our lap it's not possible to make those changes and something you said exactly right i don't know if you were aware but you said like don't eat that cookie don't uh you gave like three examples of don't well first thing is is that i use that specific language pattern with my clients when i want them to do something i say don't mm -hmm. when i want them to do something uh -huh. do you know why because then there's less resistance because every time you're been told that hey don't do it it kind of like is also like a child I mean it depends on people's personality some people have this thought process that how can someone tell me no or you know it's like yeah it's the ultimate I'm going to prove them wrong or you know I am better than this so if you tell me that you know walking 
10,000 steps a day is great. I'm going to show you that even walking 5,000 steps, I know that walking is great anyway, but I will try to like prove you wrong by either going to a 15,000 step count or like going to a 5,000 step count. So a lot of people kind of like have, I believe that have this kind of persona about things that, you know, how I'm not going to do what you're going to tell me to do. I am the captain of my ship. I'm going to do what I think is right. Cause most of the people, we kind of like walk through life with, um, you know, these horses and I forget what they, and when you're, when you're not riding a horse, but when horses are in like, um, a busy environment to block their peripheral vision, they use yeah. these eye blocks yeah. and then, you know, you get into kind of like a tunnel vision where there is a matchup of your environment that you've grown up in. And then there comes the big part. And this is what stops most of the people, which is the ego. A lot of people, if you ask them, would be like, hey, you have any ego problems or something? And 99.9% people will tell you like, no, but it is that ego is the perception of what your ego thinks you are. Maybe you're not great at something, but then maybe your ego actually thinks that you're great at it because so many people, it's been in your conditioning when you were growing up, people were telling you this. So it's mostly like a self image, which probably might not be true. And that ego kind of like prevents you from doing something when someone says, Hey, don't, am I correct? Am I nearby? What do you think? Yeah, I think you are. You, you said that some people actually, it's everybody has the same response okay. to this because the reason is, is because what I use is it's actually almost an embedded command because you also did it. You said, don't, and you pause, don't eat that cookie. So I'll say that to the client, don't, relax now actually it's an embedded command so what the brain hears is that sometimes when we say I don't want this I say to someone what kind of you know they're saying oh I want to find a husband I want to find this or whatever and I say what kind of person are you looking for and they say I don't want this I don't want that so they're telling themselves all of these don'ts so first mm -hmm. of all is that you know that um, if I asked you the brain can't process a negative directly so basically what it hears is actually eat that cookie not it's a, it says, eat that cookie, don't. So the don't goes, mm -hmm. and by that time, I've already eaten the cookie. So it's like, well, Too late. yeah, if I said mm -hmm. now, think of a pink, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. You, oh, you're going to dream about a pink elephant. You have to think er about it first to not think about it. So exactly. You know, when you tell a child to, you know, famously, you see, you know, children out in restaurants or wherever, and there's like a hot dish or something. And the parents say, says like, don't touch. And then they touch it and then they cry. And then the parent says, I told you not to touch it. I told you, why did you do it? Because the childhood touch don't, and it was too late. So it's like telling somebody don't run in the road. So what they hear is they run in the road because they heard run in the road, don't. So by the time they hear don't, by the time their brain is processed, don't, they're already doing the thing. So the parent thinks like they're going crazy. Like, why is my child like this? But it's not actually that. It's just because it's a, it's an embedded command. It's about the learn. It's not only embedded, an embedded command because you made the pause, the comma after don't, and you said eat that cookie. So the brain hears the message. The brain hears is eat that cookie, and after mm -hmm. maybe comes don't. So basically, even if you're talking about yourself, you would probably confuse your own self by saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. We talk so often in don'ts. If you, you know, I'm correcting my clients all the time saying, you know, and they, and I think, well, what's the opposite of that? Because every time you say it, the brain takes first, whatever comes after don't, and then gives you don't. So it isn't, the message also isn't very strong either. 
So um, eat that cookie, don't. Um, run in the road, don't. Don't. Yeah, touch, don't. And so you have to think it first to do it. So uh, that's also, our language is also very important, not only to ourselves, but obviously it's most important to ourselves, but even if we're talking to other people as well, so especially children. This reminds me of an ancient story. Well, basically, there was this guru, right? And he was super powerful. And he had like all these disciples that were trying to study for years and years, meditate on the mountains and like trying to get to the level where this guru was at. at. And he was close to, you can say he was probably close to an enlightenment. And then there was this one student of this guru and he's like, um, you know, I've, I've been meditating in this cave for 10 years and now I think I'm ready. And he was, and he was very gifted as well. But the guru was like, at this point, you're probably not ready. And he's like, tell me what I need to do. And, you know, he got into an argument and things like that. So the guru said, I'm going to give you the elixir to enlightenment, but you have to meet me on this mountain after two days. But I only want you to do one thing and one thing only. Go meditate for two days. And at this point, this guy's meditated for years. So it's like a piece of cake for him. And the only thing I, I want you to do is to not or don't think about monkeys with hats. Mm. And then this guy is like, oh, that's it. This is a piece of cake. And like, you know, I've come so far. I'm so gifted. I'm so talented. I've worked for years. Let me go into the cave again and then just meditate and come up to this guru. And at that point, he's like, this is an easy test. The next thing he goes and does, he starts meditating and all he can think about are these monkeys and he's imagining monkeys in all sorts of ways. So two days later, he comes up to the guru. He's like, listen, I don't want to be enlightened, but please take these monkeys out of my head. I cannot live there just like I can see them 24-7. So even like a person who's kind of got onto that level, it can be difficult once you like put that thing in your mind, like, hey, don't do this. So just something that I thought of, like one of these stories that I've read probably when I was like growing up. That's 100% true. And the thing is, they probably did that on purpose anyway, is to say, to yeah. that's the power of it. I always use it. And some of my clients look at me like saying, why, would you, why are you saying that to me? Because I'm telling them to uh, don't relax or don't let go straight away. And I'm telling them because they're like, because they're automatically, their, their brain's kind of saying, they want to resist and saying, well, I'll, well, I'll decide whether I relax or not. Not you, not you. You know, if I want to relax, mm-hmm. I will relax. You can't stop me. So I, th- I say that you will either do what I want, uh, really, or you'll do as I say. So by both ways, I, uh, you know, I, I win if you like. So, um, but it's the only way. If you tell someone not to do something, they're gonna do it. It's just not. It's just you because. That's just the way it works, guys. Anyone who's listening, please take notes. Or if you're driving, don't take notes. But. Um, you want to know that next time you want to um, influence someone's behavior, the last thing you want to do is take that taboo word. Don't. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I do the whole time, actually. I'm, my thing is influencing. So I'm using influencing patterns, language patterns all the time. Let's look at one of the other issues that people have. Now, these days, it's very common, right? People have anxiety and stress. Anxiety is a big problem. So much so that in, I read a study that in 2017, there were about 284 million people who had anxiety. And what was surprising to me was that 179 million out of the 284, which roughly accounts for about 63%, were women. Now I know that 
stress and anxiety are two different things. And stress is something that, you know, you could think about a presentation and you can be stressed. Even going to the gym for extended periods of time can like make your body stressed. Why do you think, or have you seen that women are usually more stressed than men? Mm. In your practice, do you um, see that kind of a pattern? I suppose I can't say women. I could only say women who I see if I was going to talk about it mm -hmm. overall. But I would say overall, but like men do still. Are still Those are the stats. <laughs> they're still, they still show up. But I suppose maybe the sample of the people that I work with or I've worked with, they're coming to me for something specific. So it's more likely. It's not a. It's not just a, a sample of the whole population as a whole. It's about the people who who it's bothering and they coming to seek help with it. So I wouldn't say that it was a massive difference. Maybe it's a little bit more women, but then also you might say that women care even more. Uh, I'm just kidding. Not kidding, really, actually. Um, yeah, that is true. That's, that's how <laughs> women have traditionally been also involved in a lot of nature, uh, nurturing. Yeah, so, they're very you know, sensitive to those Taking guys. care of the family, um, taking care of kids and that kind of, and the men is... In the usual context, now it's not the same, but in the usual context, it's like men are the go-getters. They're going outside. They're just involved in providing bread for the family. But women are more on the emotional side and they're taking care of the kids, the house, the, I don't know, so many things, the, the environment, the community. So they could probably be a bit more sensitive. Yeah, of course. And the thing is, actually, I... I've uh, done uh, several talks about the benefits of anxiety, actually. So if someone comes to me when they've got some experiencing anxiety, and that's the thing is that they're not anxious, I am anxious or I have anxiety. It's not like a, you, they're wearing it like it's like it's my anxiety because it's like they've owned it and claimed it. Actually, I do everything I can to give them the benefits of, and uh, maybe sometimes they would, they're happy that they have anxiety or they want more of it when they've had a session with me because... Actually, there were so many benefits to um, experiencing anxiety. And you said about stress is different. Yes, stress, the thing is, it's not about what it is. It's what it is for somebody. And for each person, it's different. Anxiety might be um, a feeling. It might be the, the way the body feels. It might be, um, they might feel anxiety in their head, in their stomach, in, their in other places in their body. So it shows up differently for everybody. And some people call anxiety stress. Some people call stress anxiety. Usually the difference is that stress is something it's like a stress before an exam. You can also have anxiety because there's a lot of crossover. But usually, so anxiety, sometimes a lot of people have anxiety and they don't really know the cause of the anxiety. And that's probably the people that I've worked with are most worried. Because if we know what we're anxious about, then it's, then it's a little bit easier to tackle. Whereas if we haven't got any idea, then, um, or if it's like unspecified, it comes at any time, then... Or not just at any time, but without knowing why it's come, then it can be a little bit more difficult to uh, to tackle. But usually, stress is something that once the stressor has gone, is finished, then that then the um, you can get back to baseline goes away. But sometimes anxiety can come without someone knowing or really understanding why. Except there are so many benefits. I don't know whether we have time to go over this. Maybe it's something we should talk about at another time because definitely anxiety is um, there are many, many benefits to experiencing anxiety. And those people who experience or classify themselves as people who have anxiety or experience anxiety, they uh, also will have, um, you know, uh, many benefits from it too. And they are, um, 
it's uh, there's just almost there's like so many benefits to even say and they say that uh, peak performance is actually um, mid-level anxiety combined with preparedness it gives us uh, peak performance so actually mm -hmm. it's, it's when it goes too too far so those people who uh, experience anxiety or feel that they're anxious sometimes is that they're more prepared than other people they always got a plan b a plan c their statistics as well show that they live longer than others. They're less likely to have, um, you know, in terms of like car accidents and things like that. They are um, also, I think, is um, there's just there is just so many of them that they find a way to kind of um, overcome. So they are, if, for instance, you know, you were going to have a, an event coming up or something there almost they're really resourceful and they say that in every team you should have somebody who is one of those people because they're the ones that that uh, draw attention to like the watch out they're the ones that raise the flag and say something doesn't feel right because they are even more sensitive to it so they're the ones that you can't con somebody who experiences anxiety because they they'll they'll know straight away that someone they they've got like a heightened sense of awareness and in a team sometimes a team can be very focused and keep their head down whereas you need somebody like this who says, hang on a second, guys, what about this? Um, they are, so they're less likely to be um, cheated. They're the ones who are going to um, be alerted to danger most quickly. And they've already prepared and, and uh, thought about what they'll do in, instead of it. The, the watch out for, because if I said that the benefit of, of uh, experiencing anxiety is at mid-level gives you this peak performance. The watch out for people experience who say that they have a higher level of or experience a higher level of anxiety um, by their evaluation, if you like, is when something happens that isn't prepared for. So with preparedness, it's always is a good way to be able to overcome some things as well. And so it's when um, an event happens, but they're not prepared. That's kind of like almost like that's the time when it doesn't serve very well. Um, but apart from that, imagine if you were going to somewhere and you were going to meet your bosses, you, you're going to a brunch or something and you're meeting your boss and the boss's partner and all of those things. But you were going with not your boss, but your partner's um, boss and they were coming with all theirs and you were nervous about going. Maybe it's somewhere that you haven't been before, posh place or something like that. Anything that you can do beforehand will help you to be even more prepared, will help in it. So, for instance, if you're going to go on the Friday, that's the day that it happens. You could drive there to that particular hotel or venue on the Tuesday or any day before and just even park up, go inside, because actually your brain, because you've already been there, what you're doing is you're helping yourself almost be able to give yourself, make that level of anxiety work for you rather than against you. So uh, anything you can do beforehand, doing a little bit of research, finding out what everyone's going to wear, because you're taking away, it's like you're kind of mitigating or taking away whatever things that you can that would help you to be prepared for that situation that's the thing that's causing you to feel anxious so uh... i i agree like especially when it comes to team performances and like elite athletes some kind of anxiety should be good but what i'm concerned about is that anxiety also falls under the mental health category and it is really taxing on your physiology as much as your psychological impact that it creates for example you know, people with anxiety have been shown to have like small impacts, like you mentioned, headaches. They even have accelerated heartbeat. They can be dizzy. They can have like other gastrointestinal issues. And what happens is like, at least the people that I have seen who have 
not acute but chronic anxiety is that they kind of start seeing the negative in things and this is maybe one reason why that they're so prepared because they are actually looking at every reason why it is not going to work and for sometimes yeah that is good to have a plan b or a plan c but chronically when everything in your life like when you're approaching um you know just driving your kids to work or um having this repeated thoughts that oh this might go wrong and this might go wrong and um I might just face traffic or, you know, there could be something on the street. It kind of like also ties into that stress and fear response. And what happens is when you have this constantly going on into your life, it can impact a lot of essential things in your life. Like every time you were talking about doing this preparations, I know a lot of elite athletes, um, even when I I coach someone who's who wants to do better at a game, I also tell them like, hey, just go in the environment, go in someone else's match, feel the energy, do some visualization because we, as you said, the brain doesn't know what is real and what is not. And we've seen a lot of studies in Harvard which have done to kind of like prove this point where you can visualize something and your brain wouldn't know if it's real or not, but it would prepare you. And that's completely different. But people with chronic anxiety, I think a lot of like essential things in their lives also get affected. Now, looking at this biochemically as well, every time you have a thought process or every time, let's say you and me, if I have a lot of anxiety and you're just normal and you look at the situation and you're like, oh, okay, we, we just have to do A plus B and we'll get C. But now I look at it and I'm like, A is not going to work because this is going to happen. And what if this happens to me? And now all of this is actually costing me something on a cellular level because every time you have a thought pattern, you have electrons that are getting wasted in your cells in the mitochondria and every time you waste these electrons by thinking and thinking and thinking your energy intake can be somewhat limited like okay you can eat like a 5000 calorie meal but it doesn't mean that those 5000 calories will be converted into electrons effectively so what i'm saying here is that people sometimes when they have anxiety they're they're just using so much of biological energy to put and like navigate through that thought process where that kind of energy could have been used to starting a new business because at the end of the day your energy coming in is kind of limited so that kind of energy could be used in planning a vacation or surprising your loved one but if you're constantly dreading on what's going to happen next that can also affect you know your personal life in a lot of ways and that's where i see a lot of people like getting super stressed and then you know it it comes into so many other problems in their lives this is but this is my personal opinion this is what i see uh people around me at least having yeah i i agree that the thing is if you have if you you're using the word chronic a lot and also if someone feels that it's i said that the indicator whether you want when you want to seek help is well when you think that it's something that you can't bear in your day the reason i said already the first is the benefits is because if you tell somebody, of course, I work with many people who experience anxiety and I help them to work through to let go of the things that are causing that or maybe that behind the scenes leading to that. So, of course, you should seek help. It's not like saying, OK, it's fine to have it, keep it. It's fine mm -hmm. if it's bearable for you. And as I said, if you can get through normal days and it's fine. But if there's something coming up, some people come to me because they're having a party coming up and they can't sleep because of it. 
And those things I'll use, a, you know, any, te any technique, every technique I can, because sometimes they might come and it's like a very short period of time. Maybe there's something behind the scenes that if I worked with them for longer, I'd be able to get to the cause. But now I need to just help them in this immediate time. Um, so first, someone's got to decide whether they want to help with it. But I think that the first thing is, is that if we perceive something to be negative, we're already, if we perceive it, that it actually is working for us or that there are benefits to having it, first, we can kind of own it because I feel like we can't let go of something that we can't almost own as well. So it's like saying it's there because, so I'll use that kind of referencing with all of my clients with whatever it is that they're letting go of. I kind of say, well, actually, at some point, it must have been serving you. So, you know, it's, it's helping for these things. So that they don't feel like it's something that's uh, that, that's a negative that's there because they've got a problem. My stance is not that anybody comes with a problem. They come as they are, and you know my clients are amazing, and they come because they're actually the very um, you know they're the kind of people who want even more out of life, and they don't want to wait for twenty, thirty years to to get the mm -hmm. things. They want to take those fast, and they're they're not too afraid to ask for help and stuff. So. Um, First, I don't. I, not nothing that I do in my businesses comes from that place where there's where there's something wrong. It's just like okay, well, if it was happening, it must have been happening for a reason. Because having anxiety is there, like you say, it is protecting. It's protecting us from something. It's second guessing. It's like saying, what could go wrong? Let me look at all the potential possibilities and stuff. The reason it's there is for a benefit. It's causing you problems now, so let's fix it and let's change something and get to the bottom of why it's happening. But don't think that there's something wrong with you because there's nothing wrong with anybody. It's not, there's nothing wrong. It's just, they're experiencing something now. And maybe every time at some time in our lives in for all of us that we might experience something that maybe wasn't there when we were younger or just shows up sometimes. And, and that's okay. But if it's getting in your way, or if you don't understand, you know, many people can help with very few sessions as well, or, you know, some things can be helped very quickly. So if you think I've had it all my life, and I, many people say to me, oh, well, I've had this all my life, you can't change it. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Of course, I know, I know what I'm capable of helping with. I know what I can do. And the thing is, is that it's not, when afterwards they're annoyed because they think actually, why didn't I do it sooner? And that's probably most people's regret is they say, why didn't I do it sooner? But maybe they weren't ready at that point. It wasn't causing enough problems in their life for them to take action. And they need to be sitting on the point where they're, um, on calls where they want to make the change and they need to do it now. And my job is to facilitate the change for them. So uh, it doesn't matter how long you've had something or how little time you've had it. You go and see someone if you want to and, and they can help you out if, it's a, if you feel like it's a problem for you. If it's not and you can manage it, then, then, then just uh, manage it the best you can. There's always a right time and right place for everything. This is what I always believe in. If yeah, it's not happening exactly. for you right now, the universe or you know whatever you want to call it it's not going to allow that change to happen right now now for someone who's listening what are your one give me like one or two tips like quick shot tips on reducing anxiety if someone listening to this right now they're like oh i might have this anxiety problem or not a pro let's not call it a problem i might at this point in my life be facing some anxious thoughts and now that I've learned so much about, you know, psychology, not using the word don't and things like this, what else can I do today to go home and not feel anxious? Is there something I'll, I'll give you my take on it because, um, sometimes I also come across a lot of people with anxiety, mm -hmm. but I want to see your take on it. 
Oh, I thought you were going to give me yours first, and I was going to see what I can. I, I can. <laughs> no, but mine is mostly from a. So here's the thing, I um I am so interested in psychology and science, and but my expertise comes more on the biohacking side of things, on the health side of things. So what I would say to people who have anxiety and the kind of things that I have learned is that I have seen almost like two or three similar kind of trends. So I see that anxiety from a physiological point is also correlated with blood sugar. What does that mean? So if you don't eat, your blood sugar drops. And if you eat like sugary or processed foods, your blood sugar is also about to crash. In both cases, the body, the crashing of the blood sugar or coming at a very low point can trigger anxiety and nervousness. And sometimes even it can make people sad. And this is nothing new because this research has come from the 60s. And also a lot of new research that I've been looking into shows the importance of the gut-brain axis, which is the connection between your gut and the brain. What that means is the kind of food that you eat can cause inflammation and things like leaky gut and can comprise your brain health. There is something called about this gut-brain connection is that you have these nerve called the vagus nerve and that facilitates communication pathways which are activated all the time um, between your gut and your brain. So if you're inflamed or if you're eating foods that inflame you, that inflammation can even reach your brain. And to put it in a very simple context, it's like, you know, when you feel nervous in your mind, you might feel butterfly in your stomach or you might feel butterflies in your stomach when you're kind of like going to become nervous in your mind. That is sort of like the gut-brain connection. And one of the other things that I've found is that when you look at brain scans of a lot of people and like I speak to a lot of people who do a lot of like testing and when you look at these blood markers, right? So there are these things called chemical messengers or neurotransmitters. There are so many, but what I would want to focus on is like two. One is glutamate and one is GABA. Now what happens is glutamate is normally known as the excitatory neurotransmitter. So it excites the neurons in your brain. You have like 100 billion neurons. And GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which is, and both of these kind of like make up 90% of all the neurotransmitters in your body. And new research is being focused and they're telling us that most of the anxiety kind of like happens when the GABA in your brain, which is the inhibitory neurotransmitter, is kind of like imbalanced. And if you can find ways to kind of like increase GABA in your brain or just promote a sense of relaxation, the anxiety goes away. So what would that mean for someone who's listening? Eat something which is anti-inflammatory or if you're sensitive, like a lot of people are sensitive and they don't know about this to gluten, corn, soy, dairy, even alcohol. And you don't have to have an allergic reaction to something, but eat something and then see how you feel the next day. If you kind of like feel a bit of brain fog in things, maybe it's time to avoid things like those. There are even things like, you know, you can do on a daily basis. I go for a walk on the beach whenever I'm feeling anxious. You can try journaling. You can do some yoga, you can do meditation, you can do things like that. And even, you know, supplementation can, can help a lot. I see most of the people who are kind of like um, not in the right space when it comes to certain enzymes or like, let's say magnesium is a big one, which is involved in more than, I think, 300 enzymatic reactions in the body. And which is the only one of the most important nutrition deficiencies which can trigger anxiety. And then if you really want to biohack the process, I would even look at some precursors or amino acids, which can be precursors to GABA, like 
5-hydroxytryptophan, like 5-HTP, taurine, L-theanine. So this is kind of like, I mean, you could do all the psychological work, which is the basis of it, but you can also help your body feel better by doing some of these things like, you know, just taking some sunshine, doing some gratitude, things like that. So that's my take on it. I like what you said, and you sound very convincing, even if I don't know anything, whether everything that you said is true or not. And I say the word convincing because I think that's the biggest thing is that every client has a different belief and they need to hear something different. You sound very convincing. You said it with authority. And that's mm -hmm. also what somebody needs to hear. As long as, of course, what you're saying is, is uh, you know, when you're giving them that, of course, you know that the stuff that you're saying is true. But it's not about what's true. It's about how you're saying it. So somebody will buy into that because they believe it. So giving them one, two, three steps and saying, okay, what, what it is. But you're finding a way for the client to make sense of, of what it is. So which is perfect, as, as you've said it. So that you're giving someone an explanation also, because it's not about the, actually taking it away. It's about understanding why it's there. So what you're giving a client is, is someone might feel like, ah, that's why it is. Because they, it, they, everybody gets to choose their preferred belief, except everybody's belief is going to be different around it. So if somebody was working with, well, not if, but when someone's working with me and that's their thing, is that sometimes some things that we can do um, unconsciously, so when we, or we can do things unconsciously that we're doing. So I would also tell somebody to do consciously what the thing is that they're doing unconsciously. But where anxiety occurs, sometimes I take them down a path as if they I tell me what is the reason why they're doing it. And then I ask them how long they're thinking about it for. What, and, and I kind of get them to the point where they, I say, well, are you even, do you even care enough? I mean, are you even, do you not think you should be even more anxious about this? Shouldn't you? And I know it might, like, might sound counterproductive or like I'm being mean, but it's not actually, and it works really well. Because actually what they're doing is they're looking at it from a different reference point. So I find whatever the convincer is for them or whatever it is that's important to them, the thing that's causing it or why they need to carry, they need to think they carry it. And I kind of maybe tell them that they're not doing enough of it because there is, um, I think uh, Milton Erickson, who's like the godfather or grandfather also of uh, hypnotherapy, he, you know, very, uh, he used some unethical um, techniques. So sometimes someone would go to him and say, you know, I want to, uh, lose weight or something and no one of those and you can't say you know you're not heavy you don't weigh enough yet you need to go away and put on five kg and then come back and obviously you wouldn't say that to somebody today because it would be very unethical but what he did is he forced people to do things consciously when you get someone to do something consciously it's very hard to do so you're kind of changing the way that the brain holds the the pattern for for doing that that thing so he would say something like what's your normal pattern and um, so first you used to be right off the bat, it's like, you're not heavy enough that you need to put on five kg. So he, she, the person was, who was who, the client, he, she'd be say, she was saying, you know, actually, I really great. And I follow this pattern for, you know, seven days or 10 days and I'm really disciplined. And then I fall off the wagon and then I'm stuck in this other rut for 10 days. And then I kind of put it all back on again. So he says, I want you to go away in like a prescription way. This is, I'm prescribing you now. I want you to go away and I want you to do this. I want you to actively do it for 10 days. And then I want you to deliberately sabotage it and do it. And it's really hard to do something consciously that you do unconsciously. And when you do that, you suddenly change um, everything and, and you can, it can stop almost this, at, at the same time. Obviously I, I don't do that or tell that to any clients. 
I do will take them to a place where I get them to question whether they're actually doing it enough. Because when you change how they're holding, they think it's the biggest problem and it's the worst thing and it's a terrible problem. Whereas when I say to them, are you even doing it enough? Suddenly they think, well, hang on a second. No, I am doing it. You know, like it reframes it for them. So most of what I'm doing is reframing all the time. Even if the client doesn't understand and they look at me as if I'm crazy, I, I'm, I don't care whether they do or not as long as they get the result. And when I tell them to do something for that week, when they come back, I say, so how did you get on with, um, you know, the, usually it's about worry. They're saying about worry. And I said, did you dedicate some time to it? Um, and I've told them specifically what to do. And they can't even, they didn't even remember. You know, they left the session and they forgot already. Because I took them to a place where someone says, I'm worrying all day about this. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, okay, how many hours? And I say, so when you're doing that, you're doing anything else at the same time? They say, yeah, I'm doing it through work every minute of the day. I'm worrying about this. I'm thinking about my ex or this. I can't stop thinking about it. It's just driving me crazy. So I say, well, are you even really that bothered? I said, it sounds to me like you're just multitasking at the same time. You're driving to work and you're thinking about it. I said, so you're not even giving it your full concentration. If this was serious to you, give it some full concentration. So how about like giving that worry, like it's dues that it's required, the time and the attention that it is. I said, well, how about let's say, say that every day that you take a focus that you decide which day, time of the day, and let's maybe your subconscious is just saying is that I need you to just give me some dedicated time. If you were really bothered about it, then give it some proper time. So I say, which would you prefer, the morning or the night time? And they'll say, or the morning time. They say, right, okay, take one hour or 30 minutes. What would be comfortable for you? And they say, okay. Uh, one hour can you give one hour yes okay so I said to take this one hour dedicate it I said you can even make a shrine of worry if you like make it put anything there you want you can write a poem you can have all these things I said take that one hour and be even more spend that whole time that whole one hour worrying like write down everything that you're worried about in that one hour do a prayer to it put anything there that you need to do but spend that whole one hour I said and then you might just find that throughout the day that it doesn't bother you etc etc and they just think that I'm going crazy because they think, why would you tell me to do something even more? But actually, when you're giving it a dedicated time, they don't do it. Obviously, they don't do it. But I tell them that maybe you're not doing it enough, that you're not actually putting in enough effort. So give it this dedicated time, whatever you need to do. And then I say, before you go, let's just practice and see whether you can do it for, you know, you're going to do it for an hour. But let me just see to make sure that you're ready and prepared for it. So I said, how about if I just give you the stop clock and then you practice for, um, I said, do you think you could worry for one hour? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course I can worry for one hour. And I said, okay. And I'm going along with it because I'm helping them to change how they hold it. And then I said, okay, let's practice. I get my phone out. I put the stop clock on and I say, first, before I start it, get all the things in your mind that you want to think about and let's see how long you can go for. Let's just do a quick practice. Anyway, so I turn my stop watch on and then they start talking and they say, oh, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my, um, you know, not finding the right boyfriend. I'm worried about this. Um, mm -hmm. And they say, um, I'm, I'm worried about, um, you know, and I'm looking at the clock and they get to like 40 seconds. I mean, if a push, they get to like one minute. I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. I said, so. You know, actually, it's not really they've got an hour of worry. It's about being able to kind of break it down. So I'm demonstrating down, yeah. them that actually they don't even have one minute's worth of, you know, because they've got ums and ahs all the way through it. 
and uh, you know so it helps so I say this week what I want you to do is I want you to spend that one hour dedicated in the morning and, and, and spending that time so I told them to consciously do what they're just doing unconsciously throughout the day and they can't do not just they can't do it they've forgotten already they come back and they're like oh we've done I completely agree because I incorporate something like this in my life so every day almost almost every day what I try to do is like if there's anything any worries about the future that kind of like troubles me if it's like execution of a plan or implementing an idea or something like that I just tell myself like okay let's hold this right now because this is going to be interrupting in the productivity that I am concerned in this very moment and then normally at a certain time I'll depending on when I finish my lunch I'll give myself 15 minutes to only, like you said, being on the stopwatch and just randomly worrying about things that I have made a list of. And I also see that, you know, sometimes when you're, when worry comes throughout the day, it's, it can be challenging because you're like, oh, I have so much to deal with and there's so many things. But then you kind of like narrow it down and you're like, ah, oh, okay, it just took me like one minute or two minutes. And then for the next 12 or 13 minutes, you're just like, Mm, what else could it be? And then you're like, oh shit, I don't have anything like to worry about. And another technique that I also started doing recently is that I've started giving myself 15 to 20 minutes to just daydream. So I have a fixed schedule on my calendar and I'll be like, okay, you know what? This is the time that I'll just go sit outside, look at the sky or wherever and like start daydreaming because that also kind of like daydreaming throughout the day can be kind of like can backfire sometimes but if you allocate a certain time for it then it has also shown to increase alpha brainwave patterns and like creativity and then it kind of like you use that time to solve anything else as well so yeah i've i've, I've used that technique and i must tell anyone who's listening try it it's a game changer tell them, Maria, tell them don't try it oh don't try it guys <laughs> and i and i'll get all those messages oh i did try it now well, Maria, we've been talking, wow, I've just looked at the time and this conversation, I think I found it so valuable. I've learned so much from you. I really appreciate you being on the show, sharing all your insights, your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience with us, like all the listeners on the behalf of the listeners and myself, I am really grateful and I appreciate you coming on the show. Now, if someone wants to get to get a hold of you, What's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, they can come through my website, um, through mariatamsey.com, and also I have a contact page, so I'll respond uh, to the messages uh, on the same day. So if you come through, and I also offer complimentary consultation to everybody, so I always say is that make sure that you check to make sure I'm the right person for you. If, if I am or if I can't help you, I'll point you in the right direction to uh, somebody else who's qualified to help you. And... Uh, but I'd always say is that if you, even if you think that you, you're not sure if something is and you need any help, uh, I'm certainly always here. But also there's many fabulous coaches and uh, therapists in Dubai. So if you need some help, then reach out to anybody as long as uh, you can. But I'm, I'm, I'm also here and happy to help anybody. But the, probably the best way to come through is through the website. Just come through the contact page and I'll contact you back. Um, now, that for everyone who's listening is super powerful. Why? Because she will respond to you fast, A. And B is that you get a complimentary session so you can figure this out for yourself. And if you've been listening to this whole interview, then you know that Maria is not just here to make money. She would probably sometimes even tell you like, hey, listen, you're not ready right now. So just 
go watch a YouTube uh, video or like read this book and then come back if you're ready. So I want everyone who's listening to this show to make use of this opportunity and then start reflecting back in your life and see if you really want some help. Maria is there for you. Maria, thank you so much for being on the show. You have a great day ahead of you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you. also learning from you as well. So uh, take care and have a good day, everyone who's listening. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.